remember being 11 years old. And I was on top of the hill that we affectionately in our neighborhood called Big Mama. And this hill was a crazy hill. You don't take your BMX bike down this hill. But today, that day, we were there. We'd climbed and walked all the way to the top and stood there. And our BMX bikes didn't have brakes because they were for wusses. And so we were at the top. And you knew once you started, you were getting to the bottom. Might be on the bike, might not. But you knew the adventure that awaited. It was new. There's a lot of excitement about new in there. You know what else I felt in that moment? Who's with me? Fear, right? A little bit of trepidation, if you will. A little bit of hesitation. Because it's new. And so you feel both, right? And friends, in a lot of ways, that's the moment we stand in. You know, we stand in this moment tonight, obviously, but in the, in the scheme of everything that is Element City Church, and that was Element Service, uh, service of Pantano that started five years ago, and, and now we're staring at the, a new horizon and a new, a new hill, if you will, to, to kind of go down this adventure to take off. And you're at the top of the hill, and in a lot of ways, it's super exciting. But in other ways, it's kind of fear-producing, and there's trepidation, and there's kind of uneasiness because there's a lot of good things about new. How many of you have been to a new restaurant? New restaurants are good, right? But they're also kind of weird, right? You go to a new place, and you're like, well, they don't have what I like. I thought I would like, but maybe I'll try this. And maybe you've had a new adventure. Maybe some of you have traveled to new places, right? Raise your hand. Travel to new places. And there's a lot of excitement about getting to new places, right? And then you get there, but then there's also like this... Uh, it's not like the old place, right? And there's some tension that goes along with that. And there's a lot of excitement about new. And here we stand in a new year, right? We're in a brand new year. There's a lot of excitement you probably have, a lot of dreams and visions, maybe in your present, that you're carrying with you. And you say, man, I've got my dreams and I've got my hopes and I've got my excitements. I've got the things that I long for. I've got maybe you even, maybe a few of you. I know many of you said no New Year's resolutions. That's not your deal. And that's cool. Good for you. But for some of us, maybe you said, hey, you know, maybe this year I, I want to work on that. But you, you've got some, some new things in your present. But the reality is you also carry with you your past, don't you? And there's a lot of good things from your past. There's a lot of good things from our past. There's a lot of good things and investments that have been poured into you that have helped make you better and that you like who you're becoming. But there's also other stuff in our past too, right? Maybe stuff that we wouldn't want necessarily anyone to kind of find out about. Maybe stuff that we actually try to forget. Anyone with me? Maybe there's some stuff you carry in your past that you go... Man, I don't know, but here's what I do know to be true. And and as we step into this series called Let Hope In, here's the bottom line truth. We have a hope in Jesus that the writer of Hebrews says is an anchor for our soul. Like this deep anchor that, that you don't drift from. But the reality is an anchor has play in it, doesn't it? 
It has as long as that rope is, you can drift a little bit. You're still anchored to it. You're still not going to go too far, but there's still a little bit of play in that. And, and the truth is, we have this hope. But a lot of times, we come into a new year and we have a lot of excitements for our present, but we know we're carrying a lot of stuff from our past. And so, how do you overcome that? And this series for the next four weeks is about this this point of saying, how can I be in my present? not necessarily carrying all this stuff from my past with me, the stuff that I don't wish was with me. Because here's, here's the reality. It, it, your past is only your past if it's in the past. And if it's still traveling with you, it's a past that's messing with your present. Right? If it's still traveling with you, it's kind of messing with you in the present. And so this series is kind of looking at this notion of uh, here we stand in a brand new year, new opportunities, literally, for us individually and for us corporately as a family, as a church family. Next week, you're going to get in your car and you're going to want to drive over to this area. And then you're going to pass your street and go, wait, we're new. That's right, we're new. And I got to go to a new place, and right? You're going to have a lot of excitement about that. But there's also going to be fear and trepidation. You're going to go over a speed bump. You're like, a speed bump? We didn't have no speed bumps in the last place. Why do we have to have speed bumps here? And two in a row? Seriously. How many of you hate speed bumps like I do? Yeah, I just, I don't like speed bumps. But you know what? Just drive a little slower over them. You'll be all right. We stand in a new year and there's some new opportunities that await us. And tonight I want to kind of walk us through, uh, in tonight and these next few weeks, some choices that we can make that will help us lean into this hope that we have, this hope that is an anchor for our soul, this Jesus. And how do we have an ever-increasing hope? Not just a hope that has a residual effect and it stays here and we don't get to go beyond that, but an ever-increasing hope, this anchor for our very soul. That's what the writer of Hebrews kind of says to us and says, look, this is what really, really matters. See, our past, if it, if it doesn't stay in the past and it isn't dealt with in a good and healthy way, well, it will begin to come into your present. It will begin to, to mess with you a little bit. In fact, the best predictor of our future often is, in fact, what? Our past, right? That's why your mama said to you sometimes, hey, I don't want you hanging around with those folks over there. Why? Because she knew some of their past, right? And so she would maybe warn and say, hey, I don't want you kind of spending all your time over there because I, I've seen a history. And sometimes some of the best predictors of our future is our past. And if our past doesn't get dealt with in a healthy way, then we begin to carry it into the future. Maybe a great question that I try to ask myself often in a new year. This is a great question for you. A great question for us to ponder is, is very simply, do you like who you're becoming? Not do you like what you're doing or where you're going. Those are obvious questions that you could debate. But do you like the who you're becoming? Do you like the who you're becoming? And think about it. See, your life has a momentum, has a trajectory to it. Do you like where it's going? Do you like the path you're on? And only you can answer that. You can have other people speak into that. You can have other people give suggestions and thoughts. But really, at the end of the day, you're the only one that can answer that question. Do I like the who I'm becoming? 
Newton had the, the first law of motion, right? Things that are at rest tend to stay at rest. Things in motion tend to stay in motion unless something is acted upon it from the outside, right? And something forces it to begin to go in a new momentum or a new tra- trajectory. It's kind of like the, the ketchup bottle. How many of you are with me? The ketchup bottle, it's stuck right at the bottom. And you tip it over. Does it move? No, until you, with the outside force, begin pounding on the number 57 because you figured out that is the key place to hit the Heinz ketchup. Did you know that? That's true research. You can actually follow that. Hit the number 57 and it begins to flow. There's an outside source that's injecting upon it. Your past isn't just in your past if it's still messing with your present. And so how do we begin to deal with with our present? How do we begin to let go maybe of some of the things in our past? Have you ever wondered why some people just keep making poor decision after poor decision? Have you ever found yourself on that treadmill? You know, we've all been there in certain times. The good news of the gospel is who you were yesterday doesn't have to limit who you will be or could be today. Who you were yesterday thanks to the gospel and the grace of Jesus, doesn't have to limit or dictate who you can be today or on into the future. God desires for us to live this hope and to have this hope that continues to pour in and to be this ever-expanding type of hope that our present can be different, maybe, than our past. Here's the first choice I want us to kind of wrestle with tonight a little bit, okay? The first choice. I think will let you begin to experience a little bit more of hope. And how do you have this ever-increasing hope in your life? Because I don't know a single person on this planet that doesn't want more hope. And here's the first one. If you don't learn to transform your pain, you'll just transfer your pain. If you don't learn to let your pain be transformed, then it'll just be transferred into impacting your relationship around you and impacting yourself and impacting and having this ripple effect across your life. You've got to learn to transform your pain. You've got to learn to say that pain and heartache are a part of life. How many of you have ever experienced that? They are. No one escapes that in life. No one gets a free pass on that. There's no fast pass away from that. The truth is we will all experience some of that in life. And if you don't learn to transform your pain and the heartache and the setbacks and the, the moments of, of just, ugh, where you, you, maybe you're frustrated with yourself or frustrated with other people, if you don't learn to let that go and let God transform that, then you're just going to carry that with you. And that's how your past begins to mess with your present. And you've got to learn to let God be a part of transforming that. Some of us uh, get hurt worse than others. Some of us, if we're just honest, have experienced more pain or more setbacks in life. We just have different measurements of that. I mean, we're all different heights, right? We're all measured differently in height. I remember being in the store just a couple of weeks ago, and I found like this the wall thing that you can hang in the wall, and I stood next to it, and I was six feet tall. Friend, I have never been six feet tall in my entire life. This thing was totally messed up, but it was awesome. I am not on a stool even. I'm on the floor. But I know that's not right. I know that's not real. It's just, I don't know. I I should have bought it. But the truth is, we all kind of measure out differently in our heights. And the truth is, we all measure out differently in the pain that we, we, we take on in life. And sometimes it's our own choosing. 
our own poor decisions and the own mistakes or so or missteps that we take and that get that there and kind of shovel that our way. And sometimes it's just stuff that other people have done to you. In fact, I don't have to tell you, but some of you here have experienced some pain that someone else did to you that you wouldn't have wished on your worst enemy. And I'm so sorry. I wish it didn't play out that way. I really do. And there's no way around that. You can't deny your past. You can't bury your past. But friend, you don't have to carry it around all the time and into your present. If you begin to allow God to begin to transform your pain, instead of having you carry it and then just transfer that into other relationships and transfer that into the other decisions you make in life, we've got to learn to begin to let God transform that from our past. One of the uh, great stories of the Bible is found in Genesis, and you can read about his life. I'll kind of sum it up a little bit, but the life of Joseph, you've heard of maybe a little bit, starts in in chapter 37 or so, and you have Joseph, and his story is a story of just incredible blessing, like he's just given a lot of blessings, and it's kind of weird in some ways, but it's also a story of betrayal, and it's a story of abandonment, and a story of where he gets framed in life. And, and, and how you begin to understand this is Joseph is a, one of the youngest sons. He's got 12 brothers, right? He's this family, this big family. And in one weird thing, a glimpse into his early on kind of growing up childhood, he begins to have these dreams and visions that he senses God kind of saying these things. And, and he kind of tells his brothers about that. But he doesn't tell it like, hey, I think this might be cool. He kind of says, look, this is what's going to happen. Uh, one day you're going to bow down to me. Huh? How do you think that went over to siblings? How would that go over to your siblings? If you just showed up to the dinner table one night, be like, hey, I think in the future you're going to bow down to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> um I, I think I saw, uh, Dad's calling us over this way. Let's go, let's go over here. Um, and there's this truth. He was favored by his dad. And so you got this weird dynamic uh, just in family life that these other siblings, these other brothers just realized this is Dad's favorite. And they didn't like it. In fact, at one point, uh, they're out in the field and they, they beat him up pretty bad. And they find this open pit, right? This open, dry well, and they throw him into that. And they're prepared to walk away and to tell a story to their dad that he was eaten by a lion. Think about that. Put yourself in Joseph's spot at the bottom of that well, right? Just looking up. Picture your own siblings there. They have beat the crud out of you. You hear them talking that they're going to go tell your dad, that you're dead. And they're prepared to walk away. Can you imagine? Do you think that might mess with you a little bit? Do you think that might be some troubled past? Well, along comes this, um, this caravan of, of slave traders. And one of his brothers gets the idea of just kind of pulling him out and selling him off. And he's off to Egypt. So he's in this in this band of, of trade, and he's a slave, basically. And he's taken off into Egypt, and God's with him in the midst of that. And Potiphar is a, is a high official in, in Pharaoh's court, and he buys Joseph 
as a slave to work in his house. And, and pretty soon things kind of go well for, for Joseph. But you think about it. He's in a foreign land, in a foreign place. He has no rights of his own. And, and he's left to deal with this. Back home, he had all these dreams and all these visions of what his present, what his future would be. And now he's dealing with this, right? And in the midst of this, he kind of is acting in integrity and acting with great leadership. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole household. So he's kind of in charge. He's gone from this slave, this nobody, into now he's in charge of the entire household of Potiphar, right? And I want you to kind of see a little bit of this story in Genesis 39. In Genesis 39, we begin to see uh, this play out a little bit for him. I'll just read some of this. So he left Joseph in care of anything. This is starting in verse 6. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. He must have been kind of picky. He maybe wanted Oprah's chef. I don't know. Uh, So Potiphar's kind of picky about his food, but Joseph's in charge of everything else, right? And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. (laughs) Wow, that's forward. Um, (laughs) But he refused. Joseph was well-built, handsome. You can picture you want. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. And one day, uh, the transpired, there's no other slaves or no other uh, kind of servants in the house. And all of a sudden, he's there and she's there and she grabs his coat, right? Now, this has gone on day after day. And what does Joseph do in this moment? Does he give in to temptation? No. He actually drops his coat and runs out. He flees. He leaves. He's acting in great integrity. And then she spins the story. Look, I have his coat. He tried to come on to me. And suddenly, here's what we begin to read, verse 13. When his master heard the story of his wife and what she had told him, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Listen, not just in prison, in prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Do you think that was maybe a little bit worse of a prison than just a normal prison? This is where the king's enemies would reside. He's in the deepest, darkest dungeon. All for doing the right thing. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. And now he's been framed. That's his past. And if there's ever a moment where you say, God, why do I even follow you? Like, I don't get this. I'm trying to do the right thing, and you've ditched me. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to make the right decision and move in the right path. I'm trying to have the right momentum in life, and I feel like, God, you've left me out in the dark completely. That had to be what Joseph was battling And it's in those moments that we begin to see a little bit more of his character. Is he going to let his pain just stay with him and it's going to transfer to everything else he ever faces in life? Or is he going to turn to God and let God begin to transform the pain and the hurt and the setbacks that he's facing in these moments? Scripture goes on and begins to say, God didn't leave him in a tough spot. He didn't leave him down in the pit. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Pretty soon, 
through a remarkable set of events, you begin to see Joseph rise, and he's even in charge right underneath the, the warden of the whole prison. He's in charge of it all. And he's a prisoner. Then some other weird things happen in his story, and he kind of thinks he's on his way out, and then he gets forgotten again. And then one day the king has this dream, and no one can decipher it. And some guy who spent and logged some time with him was with a bunkmate and said, Hey, I know this guy that can maybe interpret dreams. And finally, after years... Joseph is brought before the king, and then all of a sudden, his kind of skyrocket rise to fame. And Joseph is put second in charge underneath Pharaoh of the entire land of Egypt. Think about that. That's some severe power, right? And it's in that moment where if you have not let the pain of your past, if you're still carrying that with you, can you do some severe damage when you are second in charge? Can you do some incredible hurt? You can. But somewhere along the way, we begin to see in Joseph's life that he learned how to let God begin to transform his pain. That he didn't transfer it. And then you have the weirdest part of the whole story. Toward the end of Genesis, like Genesis 50, uh, 49 and 50, you have this incredible famine and just this great leadership moment for Joseph. He has this dream about what's going to happen for Egypt and he kind of sets some things aside and then the country doesn't overspend and they live within their means and they have this surplus, right? Because they know lean times might be coming. And lo and behold, they the country goes into this incredible famine. And everything is there. In fact, people from all over the surrounding regions begin coming to Egypt trying to buy grain and get food because they need it. Because they didn't prepare. And it's in this leadership moment that some familiar faces kind of come back into Joseph's life. And it's his brothers. Think about that. (laughs) You're in charge, right? The whole land... Anything, no one can say anything against you because the other person in charge of you is Pharaoh and he kills everybody, right? And so Pharaoh is giving you in charge of the entire land and all of a sudden, your brothers. Remember them from the pit? They show up and they're begging for grain and Joseph treats them with kindness before he ever reveals who he is. They don't even recognize him. And in one of the crescendos of the whole story, you begin to see something as Jacob comes and with his father, his whole family begins to come there. And then his father dies. And it's in that moment when his brothers wise up and go, oh, no, dad's not here to protect us anymore. I wonder if Joseph is still upset about that whole beating, abandonment, almost killed him type thing. And in this moment, his brothers come before him. And here's what you begin to read in verse, um, in chapter 50. Begin to see the story unfold. When Joseph saw his brothers, they have this, this debate a little bit. The, the brothers are saying, Joseph, we are so sorry. We can't believe we did that. And Joseph has this incredible statement. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. Joseph begins living with a greater story. In fact, he's been living with that greater story throughout every part of his life. He's began to say, 
I know that there's a greater story going on. He says, you intended it for evil, but God intended this for good, for the saving of many lives, for this moment right here. Can you imagine that? Friends, we have so much in our past that if you're just normal, and I believe you all are, we just carry stuff with us. And if we don't learn to let God transform that, if we don't let God transform our past, it will begin to creep in and mess with our present. And we've got to make that decision. And that's what Joseph did all throughout his life is when he hit those roadblocks, when he carried that pain and carried that setback and carried that rejection, carried that abandonment, carried that hurt. He said, God, I don't have to carry this alone. And he brought it to him. And over and over, we began to see behind the scenes of Joseph's life. We began to see this pattern that he brought those hurts to God. And he let God begin to do a transforming work in that, that his past wouldn't have to be carried forward and mess with his present. And I believe that's every one of our wishes. We want 2014 to be the greatest year we ever have. But friend, if, you are, if you're still carrying stuff from 2013 and 2012 and 2011, and you haven't dealt with that, and you haven't let God begin to transform that and do a work of healing within you, then you're carrying that with you, and it will begin to mess with your present. And so through this story, begin to realize, see, God has a different plan, but God has a different plan. In fact, I, I love those words, but God... In fact, every time you read that in Scripture, I want you to underline it. Because it's this amazing truth. But God intercepts. God intercedes. Joseph is left in a ditch to die, but God actually puts it on the heart of one of his brothers to pull him out. Joseph is stuck in the slave trade, but God brings Potiphar to bring him to his house. Joseph is framed and left alone in a prison. But God is at work. See, friends, God is at work all the time behind the scenes of your life and behind mine. That's the great hope we have. It's an anchor for our very soul. That we don't conduct life on our own, but God. In fact, the psalmist writes these. There's hundreds of these all throughout the scripture. Psalm 73. My heart may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I may be feeling this way, but God pours in something else. Jesus is speaking one day to uh, this rich young ruler who, who can't quite buy into this notion of following God and giving up things and falling. And he says to his disciples after he's left, how can anyone follow you? How can anyone rich ever follow you? And, and Jesus says this, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, anything is possible. But God changes things. Paul speaking one day in a synagogue and he's given the, the microphone so to speak and he said you can proclaim and so he tells the story of Israel from the, the times in Old Testament all the way up to Jesus and then he has this incredible statement in Acts 13 when they were done when they had done all that they that the prophecies were said about him they took him down speaking of Jesus they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb and I bet he paused right there to just let it sink in they placed Jesus in a tomb, but God raised him back to life. See, all throughout the scriptures, 
There's this turning of a page, this link that says, but God has something different in plan. We were lost. We were broken. We were separated. But God made a way for us to have life with him through his son, Jesus. But God is the outside force that's banging on our number 57 to say your momentum, your trajectory of your life can change if you let hope be an ever-increasing hope within your life. It's an anchor for your soul and it can pull you forward. You don't have to transfer pain. You can actually let me begin to transform your pain and begin to use that to bless and help other people. God is always at work at Elements. One of the things that we're relentless about is that anything is possible with God. Anything is possible with God. We are a living testimony of that. This service started with 12 people, right? Huddled around a single table. Thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to plant a church one day. How do you plant a church with 12 people? But anything is possible with God. And he began drawing stories and drawing people and changing people's lives and adding to the numbers daily those who are being saved, those who are bringing into the fold, those who are a part of a dream. We stand at the cusp of something incredible before us next week. That in a lot of ways, we could look at it and go, I don't know. It's the top of the hill. It's exciting, but it's also fear-inducing, and it's trepidation, and it's, it's uneasy. Where'd the tables go? Where'd the tables go? I get it. It is uneasy. But here's the truth. But God can do anything. That's the God we serve. That's the God we follow. And as we look to him, he begins to transform our pain. And we can become people who are champions and cheer that the hope of God can change anyone at any time, period. All throughout scripture, we see this over and over. All throughout people's lives that you know you've seen this to be true. Do not let fear and trepidation hold you back in this year. Let hope in. And let it pull you forward. Grace is always pulling us forward. Here's something I wrote down. God is bigger than your history, and he's more concerned with your destiny. God is bigger than your history, friends. Your past does not define you. And he is more focused on your destiny and what's in front of you and who you're becoming and what you're going to do through him. Who you were yesterday does not limit what he can do in you and through you today. In fact, here's this next line, and some of you are here just for this. God is more focused on your future than he is fixated on your past. Here's my question to you. Are you? God is more focused on your future than he is fixated on your past. Are you? Because I know too many people that go into a new year with great excitement, but fear and trepidation wins them over, and they never ride down the hill. And they just go home because they get too fixated on their past. And friends, we serve a future-focused God. He is future-focused for you. He is future-focused for us and the journey that he has us on and the journey that he has you on. And we need to be people who say anything is possible with God. And I may not even feel that in the moment, but I'm going to step forward in faith in that 
because I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him do it in other people's lives. And I refuse to not let hope in. Because hope is available. It's accessible. It's here. It's an anchor for your very soul, the scripture writer says. And so this year, here's my challenge to you. As we start a whole new year, let God's ever-increasing hope in. For some of you, you sit here and and your business is struggling. And you're going, I I don't know how I'm going to make it. And what I want to say to you is trust Him. Bring your best to Him. Do your part and trust Him with the rest. For some of you, you're in a relationship that you don't know how it's going to flow and how it's going to work. Then trust God to guide that, whether that's to move on or to move forward. I don't know what that's going to be, but trust him in that. Step forward like Joseph did and say, God, I don't want all this stuff to be carried around with me because it's just going to be transferred and it's going to mess things up even more. I need you to begin to transform my pain and my setbacks and my hurts. And as I do that, I will actually begin to experience more hope. Joseph very easily could have stepped into that moment with his brothers and said, here's a big spoon of revenge, right? Who wins in that? Nobody. Not even Joseph. But he stepped forward and said, here's a big spoon full of forgiveness. And who wins in that? Everybody all around. Right? You've got to let God begin to transform your pain, lean into that, and not let it be transferred and carried with you. This is going to be a fun series. Stay with us in it. And um, we have this thing called the move uh, next week. That's exciting. We're at the top of Big Mama Hill. No breaks, no regrets. And off we go. And the rest will be history. And you're going to look back five years from now and you're going to see what God's done in your life and what he's done through us and in us and in you. And you'll win in that instance. And so I want to pray for us. We're going to move into communion and then a closing song and then we've got kind of a cool way to end tonight. Um, so Father, as the, the band comes we remember that you're a God who continually wants to transform our hearts, wants to transform us in a way that we don't have to carry our pain from our past and have it mess with our present. So, Father, I pray for us that you would lead us into these steps in this new year, that we'd be people that would look to you, that would turn to you, that that this hope that's an anchor for our soul wouldn't just be a, a catchy saying, would be the truth of the baseline and the foundation of our life. God, for all of us, we all carry hurts. And so would you help us to be people that very quickly as we face that would turn and give that to you, that you could transform it, that you can change it, that you could begin to use it even within our lives, to begin to change us, to become the who you dream us to be, and nothing short of that. Father, we remember in communion that we come to this table remembering the life and the death and the resurrection, the best part, of your son, Jesus, who said, you're never worthy to come to this table, but you're loved, and so you get to. Father, we stand as loved ones, loved by you, 
And so as we take this bread, as we drink this cup, we remember the giving of your body, Jesus, the shedding of your blood, that we might know that we are once and for all and forever loved, accepted, approved, brought in, never alone, always with hope, this anchor for our soul. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.